Welcome to the Talking Recruitment Podcast from the REC. Every week we look at all the latest insights, perspectives and experiences from across our diverse recruitment industry. Hello everyone, uh, my name is Neil Carberry, the Chief Executive of the REC and welcome along to another episode of Talking Recruitment, the REC's podcast. Delighted to have you with us this afternoon and we've got a fantastic guest for our discussion today. Before we begin though, a couple of uh, updates from the REC. Do remember our conference is on the 29th of June, that's free to all REC members. You can sign up on the REC website. It's a fantastic uh, day of thought leadership from the industry, from the client side, from politics and from some key advisors and our speaker today is one of our keynote speakers on the conference day so do take a look at that on the website and come along and join us and uh, while I offer you gifts I also uh, raise my eyebrows slightly uh, the uh, REC compliance test is due on uh, for all members by June the 30th I know many of you have already taken it uh, in fact the vast majority of REC members have now taken and passed the compliance test Thank you very much for your efforts on that. If you haven't done yet, all those emails will be uh, coming into the compliance contacts we have in your business. And do please uh, take action to do that before June the 30th. There's lots of advice and support about it on our website. And we're also running some webinars to help uh, those members who've perhaps not taken this version of the test before. So do uh, look out for that. On the REC campaigning side, clearly a big area of effort over the last month has been the return to in-person right to work checks. That's something we successfully managed to get pushed back from May to June. We continue to push government on that at the moment. And we're also seeing in uh, Great Britain a really substantial debate around supply chain compliance and with the government announcing its continued intention to form a single enforcement body that includes national minimum wage non-compliance as well as the employment agencies standard inspectorate lots of activity there that we're working on uh, through the REC policy team so lots to keep close to on the policy side some really good REC events coming up do get involved do come uh, do come along and uh, a really exciting time for the for the industry just recently uh, we launched uh, the, our latest report on jobs data which showed us the fastest improving permanent recruitment market uh, since we started our survey back in 97 and a continuing uh, strong trend on the temporary market, the best for several years after a long period of growth now stretching back several months. So one of the things I'm hearing from many of you is how busy things are as things ramp up, as the economy opens up. Uh, that's a great place to be because of the journey we've been o on for the past year. And now we're all turning our attention to, well, what does normal look like uh, in this uh, new world? I'm delighted to welcome our guest today, who will be known to many of you as a voice uh, for the industry and business more broadly over the last year and more. Uh, Tina McKenzie is the Chief Executive of Staffline Ireland, but she's also well known as a voice for business as uh, Chair of the Federation of Small Business in Northern Ireland, and also now as uh, the organisation's Deputy Chair on Policy for the whole UK. She's done a range of other things across a glittering career and understand Tina that you've you've recently taken up a visiting professorship at uh, the University of Ulster as well. Yes, hi Neil. Um, yeah, that was a great surprise. I actually attended Ulster and completed a philosophy degree many moons ago. Um, so it's nice it's nice to be back working with the business school and, and working with our future business leaders. 
So that's exciting. Well, you're most welcome to the podcast and, and thank you for, for, for making time. So maybe we can start with your role at Staffline Ireland and what you're seeing now in terms of how the economy is changing and of course yeah, you know, you naturally you look across the whole of the UK with the FSB, but uh, there are some very specific uh, fast changing aspects to to the economy in Northern Ireland in particular at the moment. What's you? What would your advice be to recruiters who are looking at all this change happening across the economy, whether it's technology, whether it's the po- effects of post Brexit, whether it's uh, changing client needs? How can we as an industry step up on that that challenge to to meet this new economy? Well, um, yes, there's definitely a lot going on. You know, we've we've obviously had the Brexit uh, uh, situation over the last couple of years. Um, on top of that, we've had COVID. Um, and in Northern Ireland in particular, we're now dealing with the issues of the protocol, which was supposed to help us with the the transitioning period of, you know, Northern Ireland being a place where you can, you know, you're still within the customs union of the United Kingdom, but we are within the the agreement with the EU for goods. Um, and that's tricky and, and that's causing uncertainty in this part of the world. But, you know, for recruiters, what I'd say is that through, I mean, I've been doing this a long time now and I've worked all over, I've worked internationally and around all the parts of the UK and Ireland. And I can tell you, I think we still go back to basics. I think we still remember that our one job is to ensure that our cost, first of all, our customers are getting the flexibility they need for their businesses and that we're ensuring our candidates at the same time are being placed into the right jobs at the right time. Sounds very basic. But I think if you focus on your, your client and your candidate, and, and then I think now these days with everything that's gone on around remote working and digitalization, then there's the whole piece around our corporate staff and, and how do we treat our corporate staff? What is our culture and how does that permeate across the services we give to candidates and clients? And I think no matter what's going on in the economy, that you know if you're doing those basics right and you're doing the right things for the right reasons, you know your business and you're working hard, of course, your business can cannot fail really if you're doing the right things where those three groups are concerned. I think that's a, an important insight, Tina, uh, because the more we talk about, you know, I, I could talk about all these highfalutin ideas that, you know, we get into our heads at the REC sometimes. And, you know, I talk a lot about uh, recruitment and staffing as a professional service. But in reality, that is just a, a, a reflection of what you've just said, which is we've got to be client focused. Clients businesses are changing, so we can't assume where that they are where they were before the pandemic for instance candidate expectations are changing and and to a certain extent both our ability to meet both of those comes right back to the culture and the skills and the talent of our of our own people does that mean that for a business like staffline how you're supporting your own people is you know it was it was it was always central to to kind of thinking about how you run the business, but is it taking on a new prominence through this time as, you, yeah. as you're looking to meet new client needs? Definitely. And I think that in order to satisfy your clients and the demands that are coming to your business, you've got to have top talent. And to get top talent and keep top talent, you've got to ensure that you're constantly revisiting your offering, constantly asking the question, 
you know, what are, what are we doing for our people? We've, we've particularly done a lot of that over the last 18 months here at Staffline Ireland, where one of the things we did was we introduced private health care for every single employee. Now, that's novel in a recruitment business, especially one of our size. Um, and we did that just before the pandemic hit. And most of the younger people that work here would have thought, well, I'm not really you know, interested in that. And it was interesting because when the pand- pandemic hit and the NHS was overwhelmed, our staff were able to get appointments you know, privately because they had this extra cover. And therefore, it gave them a real you know, sense of, I guess, calm through the storm that if they needed an appointment, they could get it because we'd offered this private health care. Now, if you'd have asked me two or three years ago, is that something we'd be looking at? I probably would have most definitely said no, because, of course, in the recruitment industry, that's usually for the directors of the companies. And what we've tried to do is we've tried to get away from that whole them and us, you know, directors and staff and try to if you're going to offer something to an employee, why not if you can offer it to them all? Another thing we did was, you know, years ago, it used to be when you started in a recruitment agency, you got minimum holidays, just the legislated legislated for holidays. Um, and so, you know, but as you moved up or as you were there longer, you were able to attain more annual leave days. And we flipped that on its head as well over the last 18 months, two years. And we've now introduced every single person has 35 days annual leave entitlement once they pass their probationary period. And that, again, that's not something that our competitor, that we see our competitors offering either. But again, probably three years ago, I wouldn't have thought that would have been a big deal, but it really is now these days with work-life balance. really is important to people what time they're getting off to pursue their other interests and hobbies. So definite changes in how we look at engagement with our own workforce. Um, definite changes there and I think all for the better and we need to continue so I think it's like pruning a tree you can't just do it once and leave it this is something that has to be constantly looked at to ensure that we're giving them the right value from the organization it's a two-way street there's kind of a short-term and a long-term benefit there as well, isn't there? Because you you don't have to spend too long looking at the, the recruitment market for experienced consultants right now to know it's absolutely red hot as the market re- recovers and, the, you know, and, and therefore retention and the right um, EVP for, for your own consultants uh, ma- matters an awful lot to being able to maintain your position. But it's also about giving people that sense that they have the company at their back to go out and have those more added value conversations with clients, isn't it? There's a, uh, I'd be really interested in how you're seeing your guys and their relationships with the clients that you're servicing change because of the, the changes that they've experienced on the client side of, with the economy over the last year. Is there a, is there a deepening of that sort of a more relational uh, relationship starting to emerge there? Yes. Well, if you imagine here, we do, I guess, everything from uh, our POMSP, blue collar on-site, white collar on-site, and also PERM, and then we have branches all over Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland. So we really focused through the pandemic. We had a huge increase in our food businesses because obviously, you know, we had this push and demand on food. Um, but also we um, also supply the NHS and the local authorities. And we had a real demand 
in our health businesses. Um, and so what happened was we worked around the clock to support those types of businesses that were having these huge increases. And we were able to, I guess, second some of our staff from, let's say, some of the perm consultants, because last year around April, May time, the perm market just just went under because people weren't hiring at the time and all perm was put on hold, mostly across the business. So we were able to redeploy some of our perm staff rather than putting them on furlough to work on some of these big accounts for these customers that, you know, we had a, a tagline, feed the nation. We, we were imperative as an agency and as an industry to keep the show on the road, both in terms of keeping the hospitals open, you know, ensuring we were covering anyone that was sick in there, uh, ensuring that we were providing our normal supply flow through, but equally in the factories, ensuring that where people were off sick and people were getting COVID, you know, we, we have thousands of people working across the factories, ensuring that we had the extra people available. Now, that wasn't easy. And I think our customers are in a different space with us. I think we always worked well with our customers, but I think it's only like anything in life. When you go through a really hard time with someone coming out the other end, you know, you've got much more of a secure base, and much more respect for each other. And I think that's where we are now, especially with those customers that were really under pressure through that period. Thanks, Tina. That's really interesting. And it some, reflects something that I've heard from lots and lots of our members across the whole UK, which is that sense of a challenge, a quick moving challenge met together has really deepened relationships and opened up some conversations with clients about uh, workforce planning, digitization, the future employment model. You know, we're all talking about hybrid working versus office working and flexibility um, that maybe hadn't been open before. Now, traditionally, this is all operated under the kind of the heading in inverted commas of the future of work. But I think we're now seeing a much more practical application of that. It's no longer a kind of a, a sort of a thing for academics at, at, at the business school. It's it's hitting the ground running with clients every day. What's your thinking from everything you've seen with Staffline, but also obviously with your work at the FSB on what that future of work looks like, thinking about the trends on digitalization and, and, and the future of flexibility? You know, it's really, really interesting. Um, it reminds me when we were back in the industry in 1999 and they said in the year 2000, it was going to be pure digital and they wouldn't need recruitment consultants anymore. And that was proved to be very wrong. And I, I'm of the same opinion, and it might be just because I'm out of touch, but I don't think I am. But I am of the same opinion that this idea that everyone's going to go to digital working and that we won't see our city centres um, housing uh, large offices anymore and people will be giving up their offices. I don't think that's strictly true. And I'll I, I tell you why. I think if you are a large bank or a even one of the big four, KPMG, PwC, etc., um, large insurance house, well, maybe some of the functions of those organisations can quite easily be flexible and have people digitally out anywhere across the country or across the world even um, completing tasks and jobs effectively and just as effectively, sometimes more effectively than if you were sitting in an office. But the one thing I have really noticed since since the pandemic came on was that when we moved everyone home, first of all, I didn't believe it was going to work as well as it did. So I was pleasantly surprised that everybody, it was a bit of Dunkirk spirit, everybody dug deep and 
everyone really got stuck into it and, and we're going to make this work and productivity increased. And then as time went on, that productivity started to kind of go back to where it was and even take a slight dip. And I think that's because everybody had that adrenaline when we didn't know what COVID was going to do to us, our families, our country, our businesses, our economy. You know, everybody really put it together. But I think after a while, I started to hear the stories of the, the stress that was on some of the, the mums and dads where, you know, the, the children at home plus were trying to do a job. That wasn't easy, as well as the stress on some of the young people that are that don't have an office in their home. Some of them are actually living at home with their parents and they're working off sitting on a bed. And, you know, that's the, and those people that were living alone that didn't have anyone to interact with except when they went to work in, in society. We've got to remember not everyone's sitting in a, in a house with an office, lots of space and someone to look after their kids whilst they sit on the computer and work away all day. And so that was that's something that really when I started to hear the stories of where some people were struggling, really hit home to me that being in an office environment, being with your not just your colleagues, but I call them, it's your friends. You get friendships with the people you work with. And, you know, yes, going and having a coffee takes 10 minutes out of the day, but actually having that ability to chat to somebody and tell them about you know, God, I had a terrible weekend, this happened or that happened, or I need a bit of advice on this and that. You know, all those interrelationships and relationships are so key to building us up to be happy, productive people at work. And I think we completely, when we hear people saying, oh, they'll, they'll all work from home and everybody wants to work from home, I think they really underestimate human interaction and how it works and what you don't get over a digital platform. You know, the, the body language, the interaction. And we as recruiters, we know firsthand why it isn't computers that do our jobs. The reason it's still people recruiting and firsthand and face-to-face, -face, obviously not in COVID, but normally, is because there's a value on that human interaction, be it with your client picking up their pain areas, understanding their business, or whether it's a candidate understanding their needs and, and ensuring you get the right job for them. Um, you kind of underestimate the human contact that's needed. So I think we will see some some big businesses like big banks, big insurance houses, giving up giving up uh, places in London and big cities like Dublin and even maybe even in Belfast. But actually, I think that what we'll see is that a lot of people will come back and they'll be in hybrid working mode where they'll work together in teams, um, especially for new people needing inductions, for cross-selling and for just that looking after people piece, as well as working from home sometimes. And I think that for most businesses, that hybrid approach is going to be the right mix. I think that's fascinating, Tina. And I think that the analogy of the way every new technological implementation was always going to finish us off as an industry, but never does, because the added value isn't in what the technology can do it's in the skills and understanding that a human being brings to to things and you know, you've already talked about the importance of culture to supporting the offer that you make to clients and i think as the chief exec here at the rec i'm powerfully aware that it's the rec's culture that sustained us through the last uh, the, the last year but it's also difficult to make the kind of investments in culture that we could and should and want and need to make in an environment where we're all permanently 
um, distant from each other. So that hybrid point about bringing people into together, investing in their well-being, I think having the tough discussions around it's about doing what's best for the whole of the team not necessarily doing what's best for one individual you know the, the, uh, thinking that point around those of us who have a nice office at home to work wor- work in versus someone who we, if we were sitting next to we'd be helping on the first steps of their career and who's currently sitting on an, on a bed or working on mum and dad's ironing board uh, and those are real examples that I've come across during this year that whole piece around the value of the collective to culture, to looking after our people internally, but a better offer to clients, I think is something we're going to have to work through over the rest of this year. And and I can definitely see the linkage here. I suppose just taking us one step further, you talked earlier about candidates, clients and staff and internal culture. That humanity, where does that leave candidates now in terms of the people who are looking for new opportunities because it is a very much more complex labor market than maybe they've seen before i think we've seen some big changes that were coming anyway but which have accelerated if you look at things like i don't think any of us think there will ever be that that number of people working in high street retail again so there's a lot of transitions going on in the economy right now. What would your advice for how can be for how candidates can respond to this new environment if they're looking for a new opportunity? Well, it's interesting because I think candidates have never had it better. I think the market at the moment, you know, we have this perfect storm of, you know, a lot of EU skilled workers have gone home. Some more with it with the EUSS scheme coming into effect now from first July. If you're not registered, then, you know, you've got an issue. So I think a lot of EU um, workers are still to go home. We know we have a huge demand for staff across the economy in the UK. Northern Ireland's no different, even though we have high economic inactivity. We still have high demand for jobs for candidates. Um, And then you put that together with furlough not ending or not coming off furlough until September then there's that perfect storm of a lack of people available to do jobs. So I think anyone that's in a job will know and will realise that there's plenty of opportunity out there. So if if they're unhappy in a job or the hours don't work for them or the bonuses aren't working for them or the salary's not or the culture's not then, um, it's quite easy to get online and have a look and find some jobs in your area. And I think, you know, always putting a call in with more than one recruitment agency is a good thing um, because different recruiters are dealing with different customers usually. So um, I actually think it's a market for the candidate. And the, the challenge for the, the people hiring the clients is that we will see, and we are seeing wage inflation. So the days of, of you know, the client asking for people uh, at the minimum rate and short notice and you know not great benefits or great breaks or whatever those days of easily filling those jobs are over because what we're now having to do is we're now having to look at our indigenous population and say okay how can we get the the pools of labor back in to the labor market like for example uh, mothers who sometimes go out of the labor market and struggle to get back in in a way that suits them how can we be more flexible, Mr. Client or Mrs. Client? How can you 
give us that flexibility to allow us to go out and fish in that pool of talent because there's such talent there. Equally, when we look at the other side of the labour market and we look at those that are economically inactive and potentially have caring responsibilities, but there's talent in there, but they can only be available in a particular way for a particular time. I think the clients are going to really have to embrace and understand the full nature of flexible working. And we've said this for decades in recruitment that, you know, the way ahead and the way forward is output driven, flexible working, you know, allowing people to work the hours they want to work, paying them the hours they want to work, and then working the, the workloads around that. Now, you can't always do that, but we'll see the economy go, becoming more and more driven in that way. But the candidate is king and the candidate can pick and choose. And those clients that pick that up pretty quickly and get on with offering either, you know, the best settings. You know, I hear a lot at the minute about people can't get drivers. Well, I know that there's employers that offer great contracts, good pay, really nice clean cabs and decent routes that aren't going, you know, at all crazy hours and waiting for lots of hours somewhere at different ports and everything else. People will go to the jobs that are the nicer jobs. So if you're complaining that you can't, that we've got a limited pool, yes. But actually then I, I turn that on its head and I say, okay, the candidates are king now. What can you do in order to help us assist you attract the best candidates? So the market's moved. It's definitely moved. And we are, I think, you know, there's talk of a recession next year. I, I don't see it myself, famous last words, but I actually see this continuing into the foreseeable where the candidate will continue to be able to choose their employer and choose their role because there's so much demand. And it's not just a skills gap anymore. It's a true gap in labour that we've got. I recognise that. And, you know, one of the things I quite often do on my talks at the moment is talk about the short term pressures and the long term pressures, because we talk about Brexit and the effect of EU labour uh, being less available. But actually, you know, it's just a basic truth that there were 50 percent more babies born in the United Kingdom in 1964 than there were in 1978. Um, and that in and of itself is going to 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 feed uh, that tightening of the labour force. We are losing the baby boomer generation gradually, or we were losing them gradually. I think we're losing them in a bit of a lump now because I think there's quite a lot of that generation who've seen the uh the pandemic and thought well i was going to retire in a couple of years time but i'll call it a day now so there's a the, there's there are some longer term dem demographic trends that are also feeding that tightening and you know it's interesting everything you said about staff line and your approach around uh your value proposition for your staff reads across to everything you've just said about the client side and i suppose the the opportunity for a recruitment business is if you do have that trusted relationship uh, built up through helping cl uh, client businesses navigate the last year, that is an opportunity to to have that discussion with them about, you know, where they need to be on pay, where they need to be on on offer, and it not be pushed back as you're just trying to get your margin up. It it would actually actually becomes I'm you're trying to solve my problems. Is that is that fair? Is that an opportunity that yeah. that we have as an industry? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, you know, when I go out to see a customer at this stage, you know, we're normally talking uh, we're, and I'm normally trying to help them understand some of the macro uh, economic environment. Some of the things that are coming down the road, as you say, Neil, in the long term and looking at how these trends potentially will 
will hit the customer at different stages. And normally we're having the type of conversation about the post-Brexit world, the post-COVID world, you know, what exactly is the world of work today and how it's going to change over the next decade. You know, those are the types of conversations we're having. And and really what we have in our pocket as recruiters is the ability to explain to a customer how, for example, they may need to increase their pay rate 10%. Um, however, we've also got the ability to show them how they can save, in some instances, millions of pounds. Because the reason most companies in the UK use recruiters is not because they like to spend more money, it's because they're saving money, they're getting a service, and they're they're making use of flexibility where they need it. And I think our customers trust that when we sit down with them, where they're as trusted advisors to talk them through how they can work more effectively in an easier way, how we can help them do that, but also how we can help them save money in their business, how we can help them be more agile. And they are the big ticket conversations. That's why you don't get down to talking about 5p on a margin here or there. And if you're at that transactional level where it's 5p a margin here, either they've got the wrong end of the stick or, or you may have, because that's not really where you're really going to save people money or where they should be focusing in terms of the longer term relationships uh, and how we can add value as as a recruitment agency or industry indeed. So if a customer, it's a bit like I say about wage inflation and attracting a candidate. If a customer only wants to talk to you about being the cheapest in terms of margin, then you want to ask yourself, is that the right customer for you? Because if the only thing that's really important is the margin at the end of the day, then that's a wee bit worrying. And just like the candidates can choose the jobs, we also get to choose who we work with. And then I know that's not a thing we talk often about in recruitment, but I would often say to companies that are complaining about their recruitment agency, and I, I'd often say, well, why do you think they're not giving you the service? And why do you think that the other companies they're working with are getting such great service off them? Is it something you think that, you know, is something that you need to look at, you know, because it's not, it's all like any relationship, it's never one way. So my, my advice to recruiters is this, you know, keep reminding yourselves of why we're here in this industry. It's because, you know, we keep, I think it's one in five companies said they, they, they couldn't operate without recruitment agencies. So we're keeping so much of the economy on the road, be it, you know, food to the nation, be it healthcare to the nation, you know, those really important things that we're ensuring that the economy continues to run well, you know, it's a very important job we do. And if it comes down to arguing about pennies, then there's really a question about, are you adding the value that you, you, that you think you add? And if not, maybe maybe you can add it somewhere else or, or maybe you need to be having a very different conversation, an honest conversation with the customer. And I'd be really honest with customers and say, you know, here's what we can do for you. Here, here's all of the ways we can guide you and support you. Yes, but, you know, it, it does come at a cost. We don't operate as charities and we need to attract the right talent. And we also need to make sure our financials are robust so that, you know, we are payrolling all of these people. It is our responsibility to be robust and, and ensure that our business models work well and that we don't fall into some of those traps that I've seen some agencies fall into where they end up having to use these travel and subsistence schemes to bump up their margins and this, that and the other, because eventually that all comes home to roost and you shouldn't need to do that. You know, at the end of the day, customers should respect the service they're getting and pay the proper 
price for it. And at the end of the day, if they don't want your candidates, trust me, someone else will. Yeah, I think that's a a really powerful point, and yeah, it reflects so much of um, of what we're hearing and seeing right now uh, across the industry. This sense of there being a moment here for us to seize this labour market tightness and turn it into productivity for clients and help clients see the value that working with a flexible workforce delivers if they get the EVP and the uh, 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 that they're offering and their structures right and it's that classic thing of managing the 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 total labor cost of production in in a in a client business and not obsessing over the rates for individual workers on an on an hourly basis and that's a huge kind of opportunity for for the industry as a whole tina it's been wonderful to have you join us today thank you very much for uh, coming on the pod thank you for having me it's lovely to talk to you and lovely to think that you know as i said i've been in the game over 25 years lovely to think some recruiters out there might hear something interesting from me so big shout out to all the recruiters Fantastic. Thank you, Tina. And of course, uh, listeners can hear more from you on REC Conference Day on the 29th of June. So if you're not booked in, Tina's joining us on the day. Lots of uh, fantastic speakers on the uh, on the agenda. Do do uh, book on on the REC website. They're uh, free, of course, to REC members. Uh, the other day, I'll put into your diary the REC's AGM for this year. If you want to come along and help govern your organisation, is on the 23rd of June. That's also available to book on on the website uh, but I'll finish by saying thank you to Tina again and uh, we'll look forward to seeing you on the 29th Tina. Oh I'm really looking forward to it thank you very much Neil thank you. And- And thank you to all of you for joining us. If you've enjoyed today's podcast, why not check out some of our other 2021 episodes? A great episode, uh, episode 10 with Tim Cook of Engage on building uh, back following the pandemic and a really interesting insight into how technology might change recruitment businesses in terms of how we invest and what we ask our people to do. Or uh, perhaps episode eight with uh, Steve Guest thinking on how we focus on the future as an industry coming out of the, uh, the pandemic. Uh, lots there on the website for you to dip into at your leisure but I'll finish by saying thank you again for joining us and I'll see you soon on another episode of Talking Recruitment, the REC podcast Thank you for listening and I hope you enjoyed this podcast Join me for another episode soon and check out our back catalogue at rec.uk.com to catch up on some other fantastic discussions that are really helpful for recruiters You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify. So subscribe to REC Podcasts to never miss an episode.